Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. podcast late summer edition matthew miranda joined as always by stacy Patton, here to talk some new york knicks for you as we approach yet another end of summer start of fall start of almost start of training camp um time of year but before we get into anything in case you wondered who is my number one source for all of my betting needs bet online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, spelled B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, bet online where the game starts. Stacey Patton, have you seen the movie No Country for Old Men? Yes, I have. You are familiar with the scene. Hope I don't spoil this for anyone. It comes early in the movie. So if you haven't seen it in the last 20 years, this will not ruin it for you. Um, there's that scene very early in the in the movie where um Anton Sugar is in the like gas station. And he has that conversation with the gas station thing about the coin. And he ends up, you know, basically the, the man is to flip a coin like for his life. And he lives and he goes to put the coin in the in the in his pocket. And Anton says, Don't 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 put it in your pocket. Like it's it's too special, it's too valuable for that. I was thinking of that during the ad read and wondering what is the most you have ever won on a bet in your life? Perhaps not your life. And if that has ever happened, that may not be a story that you want to share with the general public. But in a card game, sports betting, like, you know, did you ever just like what or even just a great like a time where you were like, man, I am the shit for winning this bet. Um, the incident that comes to mind is I was in a casino in Detroit, legal, um, and I went all in Um and I had pocket jacks, and it was kind of an eye-opening experience because the the person I was facing was not very well dressed, was older, bearded, like unshaven, unkempt. And I had pocket jacks. He had pocket tons, and I won the hand, um, which I should have. I had the better hand, but like he was really mad, and I, I felt like, man, did I just take this? Um, you took his lunch money. This- his dinner well, money and his breakfast money or something, right? Like, <laughs> uh, well, no, it kind of. Um, I used to be really into poker because I was playing, you know, rich college kids or like, you know, people like that. That was kind of a thing where I was like, you know, going to casinos or whatever. That, um, and I, I won a lot of money on that hand. I'm like, I'm going to state the dollar amount, but um, that was uh, that's what comes to mind when you say that. And I felt it was very bittersweet because I felt good about winning that hand, but I also felt like not like you played it that bad and you know i don't know how badly you got yeah, screwed there so in the larger realm of things nice nice 
I like that idea of you staring across the table at some, <laughs> some dude from the wrong side of the tracks. No, it was more, it was more <laughs> that he was an older person, like significantly older person, and you know, I, I don't know if he needed that money more than I did. So, very fair. Um, well, speaking of needs, a topic of discussion as always of late in Knicksville is the need for the next big star, and there has been. A little more smoke than usual. Well, not smoke. There's been a little more um, wispiness in the air around talk of Joel Embiid than usual because I guess um, the 76ers look more and more like next year is not going to be a magical uh, mystery tour. And (laughs) if they're not contenders, then Embiid, that seems to imply, and it would be fair to assume, like he may want to go somewhere else. And of course, that means the Knicks come up in the conversation. I am. I want to know what you think about this, and I'm more interested than usual in your answer because I feel like I have been seeing a lot of, and, and I'm very cognizant that like I may be mostly exposed to a specific um, subset of like NBA Twitter and even Nick Twitter. So like I don't know what everyone out there is saying or feeling, but I was surprised. I would felt like a very negative initial thought without even specific parameters of a deal being discussed from Nick fans being like, uh, Joel Embiid, excuse me, this guy, I don't think so. I'm very curious what you make of Joel Embiid, 30 years old, I believe right now, um, reigning MVP, not reigning playoff MVP. What do you make of this character? Yeah, so before we go into that, right, um, I will say that I am in favor. I, this is my stance isn't that different than it has been for most trades. If the price is right, the price for me is much higher. The, a right price would be I'd be willing to pay a lot more than I was for Donovan Mitchell. But you know, if you want to talk, and I get it, he's the MVP and all of this. I want to take you back. The Knicks traded for a player who had had multiple. 20 and 10 seasons. In fact, his best season was 21 and 12. The one and a half blocks, um, high-level defensive player, versatile offensive player, um, but was a big who had had some injury history, and the Knicks traded for him. Um, do you know who I'm talking about? First guy that came to mind was Antonio McDice. Yep. Oh. Um, Knicks fans are scarred. Um, when it comes to bigs with injury flags we gave him Ari Stoudemire Max that was uninsured we traded for Antonio McDice Eddie Curry um, you know Eddie Curry the list goes on and on I don't think Joel Emb- I think Joel Embiid is significantly more talented than any of those guys um you know even McDice and Stoudemire but and he's played more the last few seasons but that is a concern one concern another concern is that despite being I don't think anyone questions his talent he hasn't gotten past the second round have there been some mitigating factors? You know, I, I always, I'm an Embiid apologist, and I always go back to the series, the one that they lost when Kawhi hit the crazy, you know, ping pong shot. He was a plus 87 in his minutes in that series. Wow. And he played a lot of minutes. So that means that the 76ers were so bad without him that somehow they lost the series despite that, again, you know, over seven games, that's in his stints there, you know, when he's on the floor, they're averaging the outscoring the Raptors by almost 14 points a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, the 
it, it depends on the price. Um, there was a trade where it was like quickly RJ a couple of firsts. Um, and I think a lot of, I would probably do that. Um, I think the other, like the other side of the spectrum is it's everything quickly RJ Grimes, all the firsts, all the protectives, just like, and this is, you know, um, on pod Strickland, we actually had John Schmelk on last year, um, to discuss what a potential Donovan Mitchell trade would be. And I think where we all valued him was pretty similar, but Schmelk kept saying, you know, when teams trade a star, they're not talking about equal value. They're just saying, we want everything you got because somebody's going to give us that. And that would be the worry is like, because the thing is, if the, if we're going all in on just Brunson and Embiid, or even if we keep Randall, you know, is that enough to win a championship, right? Especially if you if they don't have a lot of picks, um, you know, are they relying on guys like Deuce and Sims to, to step up? Um, you know, you know, they, they found an ability to find valuable guys in free agency, but I don't know if you can Alec Burks your way to, to building a roster around those guys. Um, if it was Giannis, it'd be another thing. If it was Jokic, it'd be another thing. I think that's, so the, my feelings on Embiid are like, if it's a Donovan Mitchell price or like in that stratosphere, I would pay that. If it is a, the kind of price where it's like, yeah, we need everything. I would give that up for Giannis. I'd give that for Jokic. I'd give for Luca, um, I don't consider Embiid to be on that level, and that's without even yeah. considering the fact that he's twenty-nine-year-old big with a hit. and like I probably am not as shell shocked by this as a lot of the fans you're seeing who are negative about it, but I think that's the big concern. If we trade everything, if we pass on this era, and then he has injury issues, or even if he doesn't have, you know, even if he plays a lot, if he's diminished. Um, or if he's diminished, but it becomes a mellow again where, like, they can get to the second round, but more more than that, and now they have no way to get better, that's what I think a lot of people are worried about. I'm not that concerned about the second round thing with him. Um, Ewing was – Patrick Ewing wasn't – didn't get to a conference final until he was 30, I think, 29 or 30. Who was he losing to? He's losing to Boston and Chicago, which takes me to another point, which is yeah, Detroit also. I mean, he lost. He always lost to like very tough teams. But do you feel like there's a? a I mean, Embiid lost to fucking Trey Young. Sorry, like (laughs) that was a weird year, and I would say that had more to do with another player on the Sixers being culpable for that than Joel Embiid in that series. But um, do you see a, a team in the East that? You know, yeah, okay, Ewing's going up against championship core, the Celtic core, the Piston core, the Chicago core. Even those Indiana teams are very good. You see any team in the East the next couple of years, the way that Milwaukee has really gotten old in a hurry, and I don't know how, you know, Giannis has been a bit banged up. Boston is interesting. There, any franchise that, to me, says, you know what is going to get us to a championship? A healthy Kristaps Porzingis. You have a question mark. <laughs> um then you've got Philadelphia. Who would ever, now, who would ever put their future hopes in Kristaps Schrenk? Surely I've never done that. So <laughs> I'm sure you've never done that either, Matt. Right? <laughs> I, I think it's one thing to do as a lottery team. I think it's a whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get into KP now. Um, obviously, the Sixers aren't what the Sixers have been. Um, I, I don't see a team in the East that I'm like, well, you know. Yeah. I, I, I think Embiid 
I, I, I'm very curious about um, Embiid Brunson. When you mentioned, so you don't want to give up everything. Do you think there's any possibility that a Nick Embiid trade would not feature quickly because would the Sixers want quickly when they already have Maxi? And I know they're not, I know they're not exactly the same player, but um, do you think quickly would have meaning to a rebuilding Sixers team? Absolutely, because they. They are, I mean, if Embiid is going, it means they're probably getting rid of James Harden. Um, quickly can play both guard positions and is a very good defender. Um, Maxi is not a very good defender. Um, I actually thought he would be a better defender than quickly out of college, but that just hasn't come to fruition for a variety of reasons. They complement each other well. And by the way, in case you couldn't figure out what I was alluding to, we have seen quickly and Maxi play well together. They're great friends. Um, they work well together. Quickly has busy worked well with every two-man lineup in his career. Um, so, no, I don't think that diminishes that star. I don't think it diminishes the star of Quentin Grimes because he's shown his play the three. So my worry, if, if we had to give up quickly, but it was just quickly in picks, or even quickly in Arjun picks, that would be worth it. I My question is, is it going to be quickly, Grimes, RJ, picks? I mean, we, you're probably going to send Mitch no matter what, or even if you don't send Mitch in this trade, you're going to – trade him because you're not keeping yes. Mitchell Robinson around if you have Joel Embiid. Um, if it's everything, then, I mean, even even let's say we keep Randall. I, I'm i not as worried about the Randall-Embiid fit as a lot of other people because I think they can figure it out. But yeah, they both like to operate out of the post. Like, are you turning Randall into a stretch four? I don't know that that's really a great use of resources. Um, so to answer your question, no, I, I think the Sixers probably would value quickly as high as i mean i think quickly grimes arger would be the top three assets in addition on protected picks and I, I would think quickly and grimes like you can make a strong case for either of them being the most valued but there's absolutely no way and i don't think maxi and quickly are redundant at all maxi is predicated on getting the rim he's a very good shooter but on low volume quickly is more of a gunner and a pull-up guy um you know quickly is a better playmaker he, he has more natural point guard instincts whereas maxi's great in transition and quickly is great at pushing the pace in transition. And I think they would work really well together, actually. Um, and they would, they're the kind of players that would make each other better. And quickly could cover up for some of Maxi's shortcomings on defense the way he has for, for other players like like Brunson, like you know when he, the, the few times he played with Kemba and Rose. So um, I, I would imagine that, especially if they're as analytically focused as you'd imagine, they would be pretty high on quickly. Do you think that quickly and Maxi are like, are like stocky enough to handle that. Like when I think of Nick Nurse coaching, he's had success with with small guard lineups, but uh, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are definitely more on the the, the not slender side of point guards. Um, quickly put on a lot of muscle last year. Um, Max is pretty tough too. Do you think that I, I I go back to my '90s like reptilian basketball fan brain and just think of like. Well, they look like small guards. Like you, you don't want to have two small guards. But it is not 1993. Do um, you think those two could yeah, play significant minutes together? I think with Maxi, for example, the issues I don't think have ever been on him not being stout. It's more like you don't see, like if you look at how he gets scored on. It's not dudes posting him up. It's people. You know, his technique isn't great, and he's not very long. Um, you know, in terms of wingspan. So he just gets beat on closeouts, right? He just gets beat off the dribble. Um, with quickly, I do think he's one become a lot stronger, and two, he has that crazy wingspan. 
So quickly for since he like the last two years, if you look at his rim protection numbers or his contest rates, people shoot a lot worse against him close to the rim. It's a really weird skill for a six three guy to have, but he holds up well. And yet, I mean, there were everyone decided that he was a shitty defender because there were two possessions where Kyle Lowry kind of took him to the hole. Um, and that was it though. And it's like, that's the thing. Like if, if the other team is like, well, you have skinny point guards and I don't think either of them are really skinny, but it's yeah. like, we're going to, we're going to post up drew holiday all game on Emmanuel quickly. If that's your game plan, yeah. I would take that. If that was, if we play the bucks and they were like, we're going to attack you know, quickly with drew holiday. I was like, be my guest. That's not going to be that efficient on, on a long-term basis. Um, so no, I don't think that's it. And I think what we're quickly really adds a lot of value is that the, the largest part, like he's capable on ball, but the largest part of his impact is off ball, getting in passing lanes, making the right rotation, making everybody else better on defense because they can be more aggressive or if they make a mistake, they can recover somewhere else and still be part of the play as opposed to just getting beat. So, um, you know, and I think that's exactly the kind of defender you want next to Maxi. I actually think that's better. Like if you put DeJounte Murray next to Maxi, he has a great on-ball defender. It gives you a place for Maxi to hide. But if they have, you know, if you're playing the Bulls and they have two really good backcourt players, you're playing, you know, Nuggets or something. Like the reality is, at the end of the, the end of the postseason, there's nowhere to hide. So you need people that can play within a team concept, and that's what quickly is. And and that's really the kind of defender that the Sixers have lacked. You know, Tybal wasn't enough of a shooter to be on that on that level. Melted. Actually, if you're going to ask me if quickly's redundant with someone, it's not Maxi. It's actually DeAnthony Melton because I like him a lot. Mm. Um, but I think that you know, that's my three guards. I'm pretty happy. DeAnthony Melton. And and again, they're losing Harden. If if if, if Embiid gets traded, it's under the presumption that Harden is gone. So yeah, I'd be a little a little mollified if an Embiid trade also brought along uh, Melton. Yeah. Uh, I I like Melton. Especially uh, we're giving up quickly. Like Melton is like, all right, we're getting some mm-hmm. of that same skill set mm-hmm. back. So. Mm-hmm. I so I just realized listening to you talk that I had not until this very evening thought of the name Kyle Lowry probably in about three months and the moment that I heard you start talking about the him, booty in Miami. the shithousery just came right back to like right back to my throat like bile. <laughs> That's when you know you are an effective a hole. But um, I, I think to, to Adam like quickly like my con- like, um. Colin Lowering from the uh, Strickland, his comp has always been comedy, which I actually think is a really great comp, probably a better one than mine. But the comp I've always had for quickly has been Van Fleet and Lowry. Incidentally, they played for the same team uh, for many years. But um, they're always guys that probably were consensus top 30, top 35. Like everyone said they're good players. But in advanced stats, they would often, often pop up as like top 15, top 10 guys because a lot of the things they're great at, particularly on ball defense, as well as pull up shooting are probably still a little bit undervalued by the mainstream community. Like pull-up shooting, it's a different thing, but like pull-up shooting that isn't Steph or Kyrie level, I do think that's a little underrated, right? If defenders can't go under, but you're not Steph, that's still pretty valuable. So those have always been my two comps. So I think that, um, yeah, that's, that's. Um, but yeah, to uh, to add to what you're saying, I, I've tried to forget about the Miami series. Um, it was brutal. But I, and the more I think about it, like, I tried to stop thinking about it as like give them credit and I just can't come back to that series and not think like the Knicks should have won. So I feel like a lot of people feel that way. I I never felt like that was a series that the Knicks should have won. I felt like Miami could have won five of the games. I felt like the Knicks could have won. I think who do you think was the best player in that series? 
Was it? Who do you think was the best player on that series? In my mind, it's Brunson. I don't. I can't remember Butler. Butler had some nice games in that series, but I don't remember. Um, I feel like Brunson. Yeah, I, I don't Brunson. remember. I don't he remember. 31, 38, 41 in three elimination games. Nobody else on yeah. his team did anything. And he had to yeah, play yeah. with those RJ Hart nightmare from hell lineups. Like, you know. Um, I really thought after game five of that series that they were star. I, it was, it's what I wanted to believe. But like Barrett had had a couple good scoring games in a row. And Randall had a pretty good game five. And I wanted to believe that like. That like you know, Brunson was going to keep rolling, and the other and like, and I I didn't think Miami had enough. I I didn't I didn't think that shooting would last. I guess in the finals it finally didn't, but like I just didn't think the Miami players could keep hitting all the time the way they were hitting, and they did. For I mean, like and the Knicks weeks, missing yeah. everything all the time, right? Everything yeah. everywhere all at once, right? But that at least I was like the Knicks missed like the Knicks offense was a was a real kind of nightmare against the Heat. But I expected, you know, the Heat have been a team that for a couple of years now, going really since Thibodeau has been here, going back to, to 2021 when they were good, the Heat have been like a kind of the worst possible matchup for the Knicks. Brunson aside, like it's still not a good matchup for the Knicks offense. But I did not think, especially when Hero went out, and I feel like somebody else got hurt for them or was out for them. Um, but especially with Hero out, I was just like, they don't have and then Struce can't miss and Vincent can't miss and Gabe Vincent is fucking it looks like Scotty Pippen like Caleb Martin Caleb Martin sorry Caleb Martin like no it was both sorry I was adding Caleb Martin to your list you Gabe Vincent also was just all of them. Gabe Vincent heard him from deep but Caleb Martin was like like get out Kevin of here love was turning back the clock you know like it was just Kevin love had moments and actually yeah. I, my take is that Tyler Hero being out hurt them or sorry helped them yeah because if he played then that they got rid of their weakest defender. So <clears throat> the weakest defender was Vincent or Struce, whichever one you want to pick, which is not a bad situation. Neither of them is awful. Like Vincent is actually a pretty good defender. Yeah, um, yeah. Struce is probably slightly below average, but it's like you'll live with Struce. And so, you know, I think if Hero had played, the Knicks could have really attacked. I mean, the Knicks did attack Vincent with Brunson, and Brunson is that good that in the first couple of games of the series – you know, the Heat were putting Butler on Brunson and, you know, and helping very aggressively and Brunson struggled to make his reads. He started passing out of those. Um, and, you know, the Knicks are starting to use guard screens to to get switches. So I think Spolster said, screw it. Like, and, and the, I'll, I'm remiss to mention this. Brunson also is giving the ball to RJ Barrett, recognizing that if Butler's on him, that means RJ Barrett has Vincent on him. And, and one thing I think RJ showed this playoffs is, whether it's Garland or Vincent, if it's a smaller defender, he's very adept at getting to the hole against them. Um, and I think I, for I, I don't pretend to know the machinations of basketball genius Eric Spolstra's mind, but um, I do think part of it, you know, the last three games, he was like, all right, I'll, we'll just live with Vincent on Brunson. We'll let him beat us and lock down everyone else. And it worked, um, mm-hmm. kind of. It almost didn't, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, like, I just, like, Jimmy played well. I wasn't, I didn't feel like this was, like, it wasn't like we faced LeBron in the playoffs. We faced Paul George in the playoffs. Faced Trey Young in the playoffs. I didn't think it was, like, some transcendental performance against the Knicks at all. Like, I think Jalen Brunson had 
pretty damn good performance that is right now being underappreciated. But um, it was, yeah, it was weird being on the other side of this because it felt like the way that Miami plays and succeeds does not to me, especially against the way the Knicks also play. Like stylistically, I think the Heat in general are not the kind of team that like wow you with their obliteration of anybody. I think they win ugly, and I think the Knicks play absolutely. A, yeah. You know, the Knicks play a style that I think lends itself to like tight, competitive. Like, so this used to happen a lot with the Knicks in the '90s. Like, the Knicks in the '90s didn't, you know, they didn't go on playoff runs where they won like eight or ten games in a row. Like they, even when they win, like now you go back at box scores and even look at like at series that the Knicks swept, like. There's they weren't just blowing teams out like they would they could play this way and win at it repeatedly because it's what they did like all the time the Heat are that way too but I never like in the nineties I was never worried that if you know nineteen ninety three the Knicks played the Hornets in the second round and it went it's five games if you look back at it four to one you know pretty pretty no big deal but it was never like it's not like in the games oh the knicks are up 30 like this is like it was always like they had to do something in the fourth they had to like hold them down or grind i more I of never, a boa constrictor I, than a series yeah exactly exactly attacks. i never felt like the knicks were you know i just read about this that if a boa if you this is very helpful for our audience if you find yourself ever being um attacked by a boa constrictor you have to get to its eyes like as soon as you can i never felt after the first two not the first two i never really felt in that series especially game one because the knicks were playing really well in the first half and it was only like a five point lead um it never felt to me like the knicks were close in at any point in that series to like clawing out miami's eyes the only time it was close was when butler got hurt at that one point and you were like oh like that sucks but on a practical level if he's hurt like they have nothing um but I would I would agree. I never felt like it was a super lopsided thing. I just felt like the Knicks left so much on the table. Um, I think those RJ Hart lineups and just maybe Grimes was hurt. It's worth mentioning. Quickly was hurt midway through the series. However yeah. poorly you think he played, the Knicks were better with him, even in the playoffs with him on the court than off. Yep. Um, and, you know, again, he wasn't hitting his shots, but there was no point in either of the two series where teams stopped closing out hard on him. They did not close out on Hart. I didn't really close out hard on RJ. Um, Grimes. To that point, I, I, I remember even when Grimes was not hitting, like people were locked on him. Yeah, and that's probably part of the reason he wasn't hitting. Like it's probably people like Hart makes his open threes. Grimes doesn't. It's like yeah, because Hart they just watch him. Grimes they're like <laughs> flying at him. It's like right. yeah, of course it's going to be more difficult for one. I'm saying Grimes shouldn't shoot better, but um, the point I'm making is that like, I, but quickly was hurt. I don't know what like Grimes did play like 10 minutes, one game didn't start. I don't know how much of that was impacted by actually being hurt versus Tibbs just saying, Oh my God, Josh Hart needs to play 8,000 minutes a night. Um, I do think that the data, the film, everything backs up the idea that RJ at the two next to Hart at the three just doesn't work. Uh, it is terrible for spacing. Um, you know, the, it was, I, I think um, Frank Barrett from the Strickland posted this, but, RJ and Hart together had a plus one net rating in the regular season and the lineups with both of them on, but every other Hart lineup was like plus nine, plus 10. Yeah. 
or, or more than that. And like that's not that's not a knock on RJ. Like RJ had a lot of positive lineups himself. The point is they just neither of them is a respectable shooter. Randall is a complicated thing in its himself at the four, and then Mitch is not a shooter. Where is Brunson gonna go? Like nobody is going to respect these guys. So but we just left that on the table. And I wonder and like and it was also like the, the argument that was made was like, oh, Hart has to guard Jimmy. It seemed like Hart actually struggled quite a bit with Jimmy, and Jimmy seemed to struggle the most with Grimes. Um, and if the explanation for all of that is okay, yes, I believe that. If Tibbs told me, yeah, that's all true, but Grimes was healthy enough to play some minutes, but if you're talking about going toe-to-toe with Jimmy in the post for 48 minutes, his shoulder wasn't at that level. I'd accept that. But it was just a weird set of circumstances. And it makes me wonder if we did have a healthy Grimes, a healthy quickly, you know, if we had set guard-guard screens earlier instead of bringing Bam to the screen. Um, you know, I, I, it feels like there was a lot of stuff that Knicks left on the table. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do think they're the more talented team. Like, Bam is great. Bam is probably a little more playoff-proof than Randall. Certainly a way better defender. You know, Butler is, is Butler... But Jalen Brunson was playing like one of the best, 10 best players in the league in the playoffs. Um, next, Randall, when he's engaged, is is a, is a quality, is an all-NBA level player. They had more depth. You know, they had fewer defensive liabilities. Uh, and it just, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like they played close to the level of, you know, what they're capable of. And some of that might have had to do with Miami. I understand what you're saying. They're a bad matchup. But, man, there was a lot of stuff. Like, not even stuff like, it's like, I, I've always been mad and Mike Woodson for not putting Chris Copeland at the five when Tyson Chandler was clearly diminished against Indiana. Deep down, I know that wasn't going to change anything. Indiana was a great team. Hibbert was playing really well. Paul George was a rising star. Lance, you know, they had a really you know, well. It could have made the difference for a half that turned the game around. Yeah, like it, it could have forced them to seven, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I think the bigger issue was really that after that Jason Terry elbow, GR Smith yeah. just wasn't the same player, and he really was the second best player on that team. And he was playing like, if not an all star, like a really he was losing him was or not, you know, having a diminished version for whatever reason after that suspension um, was the bigger issue. But to like for me, that Miami series still stings because I, I don't feel like the Knicks played like on a personal and an individual level. I think everyone played well below their capabilities, besides obviously Jalen Brunson um, from a schematic in lineup perspective, I don't think they went close to really tapping what they could do. Um, and uh, and they had injuries. So. Speaking of one particular person on that Heat team um, that I keep, I've seen this a lot. I've seen it enough in enough different places this summer that I'm collectively, like, I've had it. I've, I've read this literally at least six or eight times, and I it, it seems like I'm on another planet. I don't get it. I've read like a number of Eastern Conference previews that will have Cleveland ranked ahead of the Knicks, which like I don't really care about that. And you can have whatever preseason opinion you want. doesn't matter. But the justification for why Cleveland is ahead of the Knicks is that they were exposed against the Knicks in particular as having a weakness um, for like a... a, a, a a wing or a forward who could shoot. And they addressed that by getting Max Struess and George Niang. So since they addressed the weakness, like obviously now they're good. And 
forgetting for a second and all the other questions that there could be about the Cavs in general, plus all the reasons for expect for to reasonably expect the Knicks will be better even than they were a year ago. I know Max Struess had a nice, a very nice postseason, and he is a fine player. I would not have been like angry if he had ended up on the Knicks. He seems like a, a nice, useful player. The idea that him and George Niang are some kind of sea change in the power like balance between two teams that were not, you know, as close as it looked like when their playoff series began by the time it ended. Are we really going to keep talking about the Cavaliers that because they got Struess and Niang, like it's all systems go now for them? Yeah, it's funny because the same people like to poo-poo the DiVincenzo acquisition, which is kind of the same type of thing. You, we got a 3-and-D guy who fills a role that the Knicks needed some help in. They needed shooting, and they need someone who can play defense and probably need some more ball movement. That's what the Cavs did. Look, I think those are good moves. They're good moves. I think that it's interesting, like, what are they going to – like, is Strews going to play the three? Because the thing is this. The Cavs didn't really lack shooting at the three. I mean, Struce will be their best shooter at the three. Like, I'm not going to dispute that. Don't get me wrong. But Chetty Osmond could hit threes. Karis Levert could hit threes. The problem is they didn't have people that could both hit threes consistently and defend. Mm-hmm. Or if they had to defend, defend someone like Jalen Brunson. They had one guy who would defend Jalen Brunson, and he couldn't shoot worth a lick, right? Um, so they still are short on two-way players. The other thing is, like, Cavs fans will say, well, for a big, Niang is a great shooter. It's like, are you going to play him as a big? Because what else was the biggest weakness for the Cavs in that series? The rebounding. Yeah, he's he's an awful rebounder, even yeah. for being a 6-7-4. So, you know, um, now, the other part of it is this. Why well, wouldn't hold – if somebody said the Knicks, the Cavs have surpassed the Knicks in a playoff series, I would say – I would call BS on that. Somebody said they're going to finish ahead of the Knicks or finish high in the Eastern Conference. I wouldn't necessarily destroy that notion because the fact of the matter is that the Cavs won 53 games and they're actually their net rating was the best in the NBA. So they yeah. played at a 57 win pace. So for the regular season, it really works well for them. Um, they match up well with a lot of teams. The Knicks were just a really bad matchup for them. I think that would be a fine argument if you want to pick the. Cavs to finish ahead of the Knicks in the Eastern Conference standings. Yep, the counter other argument is though like the Knicks also again in the regular season left a lot of money on the table. Um, they you know after after removing Evan Fournier, Derek uh, Rose, and Cam Reddish from the rotation, and you know starting December fourth they played I believe at like a fifty three one pace, so they should also be better. Um, I mean I think that you know I think Cleveland and New York are both going to finish higher than they did last season. I I think Miami is still because of the age, because the injuries, I think they're still going to finish below the Knicks next season. That doesn't mean I think, again, for the same reasons I'm saying the Knicks could finish behind the Cavs and still be the better, more formidable playoff opponent. I'm not saying that the Heat would be a less formidable playoff opinion, but I think for the regular season, I could see them still, but I would probably, it's Philly that I think is going to fall for the reasons we talked about, right? Um, you know, if, if if they're not going to get Harden, even if Embiid plays out the season, that's a big loss, right? Is Maxi ready to step up into that role? Some people believe so. They don't really have a lot of effective wings. 
Um, I think the Knicks have played them tough. I, I don't. I. I don't. I mean, unless Embiid is, Embiid would be the best player anytime the Knicks play the Sixers. But mm-hmm. you know, the Knicks would have the second best player. They'd probably have the third best player. Depending on your thoughts on Mitchell Robinson versus Tyrese Maxey, they might have the fourth best player. So, um, you know, I think that I think the Knicks could finish as high as second or third. Uh, I think Milwaukee is always going to go hard during the regular season, and Boston is is a good team. So, but you know, if you ask me right now, I'd say third, or if you want to give Cleveland the benefit of the doubt, fourth. But that's where I'm looking at the Knicks, and I think in that East, to the point where you were saying before, nobody scares me. Like even even the Bucks, like Giannis is Giannis is Giannis, and I don't love that matchup, but like they're aging. Brook Lopez, how many games can you rely on him for? If he plays, is he going to be? Are you going to start to see that decline? Chris you know, Middleton has looked never been old. Yep. Chris Middleton has looked old. Chris last Middleton hasn't years. played. He's barely yeah. like with Chris Middleton. That is a completely different team, right? He gives them so much. He doesn't play really, right? Um, Giannis got hurt last year, and then Drew is is a very good defensive player, but he hasn't played well in the playoffs. So, you know, there's an opportunity there. The Knicks have played Boston really tough. For, uh, for a couple of years. I think the Knicks guard play in particular far outstrips theirs. Um, and as good as their bigs are, Mitchell Robinson can get the best of them. Um, and, you know, as good as their wings are, like, you know, if if your whole game plan is to ISO Jalen Brown and Tatum, the Knicks have figured out ways to score well enough against Boston to make that, you know, not the best equation. So there's no one I'm, fe- I'm afraid of either. Um, and I think it's like, would I be surprised if the Knicks made the finals? Yes. It's not something I'm predicting or expecting, but what am I shocked? Would it be like a crazy, the, I would be less surprised if the Knicks made the NBA finals this year than I was at the heat made the finals. I'll put it like that. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. If you look, God forbid me for saying this out loud, like, but if you look at the East last year, there is no one who finished behind the Knicks that I can envision finishing ahead of them. Like nobody. Um, you just said the Heat, right? So I suppose if the Heat made a Lillard trade, like or if really, Butler is healthy all year, maybe. Yeah, if it, if it really, really, really worked out, I suppose. But I don't expect that. That doesn't look like it's going to happen to me. Um, yeah, like, and it's very weird. You you can don't. It feels like the Knicks are. It feels like I had I had not thought of this thought. The Knicks are basically as much as anyone should be a lock. The Knicks should be a lock for a home court in the first round matchup, unless something really weird happens in the East, you know, health or significant injury or trade or whatever. Like, unless something bizarre happens, as it looks now, I would have to say the Knicks are a, a lock to finish top four and. Who knows what could happen? This is a very weird thing to be realizing, to be yeah, saying I mean, it out loud and hearing these thoughts. I mean, it's weird to be in the position where, like, I think even after the 2020-21 season, a lot of people were picking the Knicks to finish. You know, people foresaw that Chicago would leap them and all these things. A lot of people were like, the Knicks will come back down to earth, even though people still pick them for the play-in, or at least, or the play-in at least, and even the playoffs. But no one was expecting them to be the fourth seed again. This is a season where it's like, why wouldn't they be the fourth seed? And why couldn't they actually be a little bit higher? You know, like yeah. they they punted away the first 20 games 
by with really stupid stuff. They added one of their most impactful players at the train deadline. Um, three of their best, their most important rotation players, quickly Grimes, RJ are, are 23, 22 years old. Mitch is 24, 25, right? Mm-hmm. Hartenstein is 25. Like, there's no reason to believe those guys don't start to compete to improve. Within the course of last season, Brunson himself went from like a very good point guard to a three-point launching guy who, you know, even JJ Redick said after the break, he was like, or not after the new year, he's like, the only guy who's playing better in the NBA at point guard or at guard is maybe Dame, right? So, hmm. th- like, if Brunson does that for a full season, and I saw Frank Barrett say 60 wins isn't crazy, right? If you think about how much better they got over the course of last season and having a full season of those adjustments, uh, and the fact that the young guys are likely to improve, they've improved every year. Like, why is the second seed or the first seed out of the, the question, right? Um, I think that in terms of teams that could pass them, there's always going to be some variance. Um, Indiana, I think, is a team they can watch out for. Um, you know, Tyrese Halliburton's improving every year. You know, Ben Matherin is a very promising addition. You know, they have some young talent. They have a well-cohesive roster. They were a playoff team before Halliburton got hurt or, um, you know, was they wanted to tank, whatever you want to call it. So, um, you know, there's a team like that. I, I don't know what Toronto's doing. Um, apparently they don't either. That's why they have to um, look to other teams <laughs> for inspiration. Um, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I generally agree with you. I don't think there's anyone behind them besides maybe Miami. If they get good health, that can leapfrog them. That doesn't mean I would favor us in a series at full health. But, right, um, right. you know, in terms of regular season, I can still see the Knicks finishing behind everyone they finish behind besides Philly. And I think they're on that level, but, um, but yeah, you think about all those things, right? Like how much better they played with heart, how much better they played after the 48 and Rose were benched and they give more minutes to quickly Grimes and even Deuce and how much all of those guys can get better. And how much, you know, there's one team at least in front of you that looks to be a shit show. Others that are aging. I don't see why they can't um, do a lot better than last year, but it, it the, the expectations they feel a lot more real and warranted this time. And it, I'll I'll say this: there's less reason. To, like, I think deep down, I don't think anyone expected Randall's regression in 2021, like to the extent it happened. But it did feel like well, he shot really well from three and from mid range that year. This year, it feels like. You know, he, he didn't play well in the playoffs, but it feels like that shouldn't happen again. One, you have Brunson, so he's not going to be asked to do everything. But two, like his shot diet made a lot of sense. And like he mm-hmm. wasn't hitting crazy shots all the time. He was just getting to places where he was hitting shots he can make at a reasonable rate. So, um, you know, with all of those things considered, I, I think um, you said it makes a lot of sense. The big thing I want to see that I'm very curious about with Randall is that he seems like you know like he like you said his shot diet last year was great i felt in the playoffs like for him to now even as a secondary option to brunson like for him to take the next step it was so obvious against cleveland and miami that they're there's they knew like he wants to shoot in the paint he wants to shoot behind the arc and that's it so when he had the ball anywhere in the mid-range like they were not they knew like they, they could guard him a bit differently because they knew 
he's not going to try like anything from here. And I feel like he gets so it works for him. It helps him like we all do what we can to make keep our lives organized and succeed at work. Like he focuses. He it see it. It felt to me like this might be a, a person who, who focused so much on you know simplify it, simplify it, and they had a lot of success simplifying it. That then when the situation called for, okay, there's more complexity now. And and he was still just like, nope, this is what works. This is what works. The next step for for him is going to be, you got to put it all together now. Like mid range, you got to have some mid range move in the postseason you can't just lock into what worked for 82 games because it's you've seen now twice it's not going to work that way like in the playoffs you have to have you know a change up you have to have something else to throw at them yeah i agree and i think part of it like i also i think with randall especially i wouldn't paint pun intended the entire mid-range with the same brush he's a vastly different mid-range shooter from 10 to 12 feet than he is from like 20 feet, right? When he takes from those mellow pull-ups, whatever, yeah, from yeah, yeah. just inside the arc, that is completely different than when he backs a guy down and he's at 12 feet mm-hmm. and he takes that fadeaway. Like, that's not a... I'm never going to complain about that shot because most of the time he makes it. And he's so good at that shot that he's he like will bait the foul. His arm just like goes janky sideways and he still makes the shot. Mm-hmm. And his touch from that range is incredible. Um, it's I think the fact is that they take away that from him and they make him and they take away kind of um, obviously the drives so i think the worst is when he gets caught in the 20 foot you know the 16 to 20 foot area so it's not a three if he drives they're going to send a double he doesn't react quickly enough um if he pulls up for that it's not really a great look and they're going to force him into an angle that probably even from that range isn't great so I completely agree with you, but I think the, the biggest solve for that is like when he drives, just being able to make quick decisions. He's still going to be able to get us, like, even if they force him to play areas that he doesn't want to go, they're going to have to dedicate multiple bodies and eyes. If he can find how to carve that up, that's kind of the more difficult thing with him, though, because he just hasn't shown that, um, certainly on a consistent basis. But I think to me, it's like it's less that he can't operate in the mid range as a scorer, it's more that they're going to take away those scoring chances he wants. So like, how can you get ahead of them and exploit that help? Um, that's something that in the playoffs, you know, through the series we watched, hasn't really come easy for him. But I will say, and you made this case a lot, it matters that he was hurt, right? It's tough for us to kind of judge how much that diminished him. I saw him throw down some big dunks even after he got hurt. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that might not be the most fair assessment. And I will say game one against the Cavs, People don't talk about this now because the rest of his playoffs wasn't great. But if you remember game one against the Cavs, Brunson got into foul trouble. Uh, he had three fouls very quickly. And Randall, I remember even Schwinn, who was very much uh, very critical of, of Randall's play during the playoffs. After that game, he was like, yeah, Randall shot seven for 19 for 20 points. Like, not great numbers at all. I don't care about that. His process was really good. He had, I think, six assists or something and didn't turn the ball over. And his playmaking, even if the scoring wasn't that efficient, and I think in the first half it was more efficient with Brunson off the floor. Yeah, first half it was. But he, his playmaking and the things that everyone said he couldn't do really changed that game. And then he got hurt game two, and you know, how much does that affect? I don't know. But if I could see that game one Randall, I have a feeling he'd be more efficient you know, over a longer sample. But just that decision-making, that's that's really the biggest part of it because they're going to they're gonna keep forcing him to those spots until he proves that he can make better decisions out of them. 
I keep asking you questions, Stacey. What do you want to talk about today? What's on your mind? Well, here's a question I'll ask you. Um, speaking of playoff struggles, we talked about this before, and I think you raised an interesting point that you know, Manu quickly probably didn't catch the same criticism for performing not at his level as someone like Randall did. Um, you know, quickly is up for extension. How much does the playoff series give you pause or, or cause consternation as it relates to that extension? Before the CBA rule changes, not a lot. After the CBA rule changes, a bit more. Um, and I feel like, for me, it comes down to like, if Emmanuel quickly is the length best guard on the Knicks or most important guard on the Knicks, like that's where it matters to me going forward. Um, I, I feel like you need, I, I feel like quickly is valuable inherently because even if he is a player who, I don't know, his, you know, some guys don't shoot as well in the playoffs. A lot of guys don't shoot as well in the playoffs. If Emmanuel quickly is a guy who will never shoot as well in the playoffs as he does in the season, and he's not a remarkable to this point, he's not a remarkably consistent shooter in the regular season. He still does so many other things well that I think um, he's like, you, you need roster guys, and then you need elevators, and quickly has value inherently as a roster guy. Like If you want to be a 50-win team, you have people like quickly on your team for years. And you want continuity developing between quickly and the other people who will be on your team for years because quickly is the kind of person who fits well with almost all of them and who can fill in things that are like supremely important to a team's collective success. So he's valuable inherently for that. Um, I feel like with the cap rising the way it is, I'm not afraid of quickly making you know, 25 million a year doesn't concern me cap wise. Um, or I don't know, 22, 25. Um, it's, it's more to me, a question of is quickly going to want to stay in a place where he is never going to have, um, like a lead role. He's never going to have as big of, a, of an offensive responsibility as he could have on other teams, but, he seems like a smart player. Maybe not everybody wants to be like, I want to go here and get all the shots that I can I can get. Maybe that's not quickly style. Um he's an interesting he's an interesting consideration because I still feel like after three years of watching him, I don't have a full feel on who he is. I have a great feel for what I've I have a great feel for what I've seen him do. He has always consistently been a positive player since he has come literally since his first preseason game as a rookie he has always been a positive overall contributor in all kinds of ways if he can you know the nice that quickly puts it all together he's brilliant and you 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 want him to be a nick for like a dozen years um when he has a six-week stretch where he shoots like i don't know 33 percent from three like that can be a little more frustrating, but I, I think you're fooling yourself if you don't think that like this is a valuable person worth keeping around for everything that they do. And if they do more, awesome. But even if he does no more than what he does, 
He does so much. Is there a number you have in mind? For salary? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know what the, I don't know off the top of my head what his, you know, I'm not going to give him a, I don't know what his, I don't know what the max is for what quickly can get. Um, I probably wouldn't give him that because, you know, I, I, I can't even remember now who's in his draft class. Um, that was Obi's year, so and, that was, um, was um, Bain and um, Anthony Edwards, Obi, right? Yeah, um, Lamelo. Yeah, so I'm not giving, I'm not giving quickly like Anthony Edwards money, but let me, let me, let me. I would. I mean, I have no problem giving quickly. What did Hart end up with? Four years and like eighty-one 81. million, was it? Yeah, I think the expectation is like would get a little bit more, but yeah. I'd have no problem giving quickly four years and a hundred million, like at all. I have no. I problem think that's where that. I think the upper um, end of what they claim the range is, but yeah, that's um, that's I think the number where there's more of a split among the Knicks crowd. So, because I think the cap is going to keep rising. Um, it's it's percentage of the cap is what's going to ultimately matter, and I don't think how I don't know, quickly is what 23 now maybe um yeah. or, or 22 nobody maybe? likes it when you're so, 23 so so let's say you know you give quickly a, a four-year deal when he's what 28 years old he's going to be making i don't know it's going to have whatever escalators in it but like he's going to be right smack in the middle of his prime making probably not even 20 percent of the cap um yeah, sign me up. I have no problem with that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's a good way to put it. Uh, I think look, somebody's gonna get traded, right? Because a year later they're gonna have to extend Grimes. Somebody's gonna get traded. Um, you know, they're probably gonna be pushing on that second up apron. At some point, they're either gonna consolidate. But if that trade isn't here, I don't think there's any reason to get rid of quickly. I think twenty five, like four four hundred, is the highest I would go. Um. But I remember saying this, and this maybe is giving me confidence that shouldn't be earned. But I remember I said the highest I would go for Mitchell Robinson was four for 60 last year. And most people were like, no, that's a lot. Like, I'm not going harder than four for 52 or, you know, four for 50. He's very limited. Dylan Brooks got $20 million a year this year for four years. Right now, Mitchell Robinson's contract looks like for who he is. You got him for $15 million, Mitchell Robinson. Um, you, you have. Maybe the best backup center in the league too at for eight million dollars. The Knicks have been doing well with contracts, so with the cap going up, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't worry too much. You know, Fournier is going to come off the books. I, I think they they really won't get into too much of a situation and for the next two years. Um, in two years, Brunson can opt out and Randall will be a free agent. So um, I mean, we would assume Brunson will opt out. Right now, he's playing certainly much higher than but he's getting paid um, and would be eligible for, I think $40 million or something like that, which at this point is probably worth it. That is probably the point before then they have to shit or get off the pot somehow. Like I'm very curious to see what happens this season. Uh, my take is that I think if they, if they do, if they don't exceed last season, you know, either in terms of having 60 wins, but even if they lose in the second round, but if they get like 55 wins, they would view that as a step forward. If they do what they did last year, though, just hover around 50 wins, 
get to the second round or maybe even lose in the first round. I'm not saying heads will roll, but I think they will be aggressive. I do think, um, I know he's your guy, and for better or for worse, I do think Randall would be someone they would be aggressively shopping at that point because it'll be a year away from free agency. Um, if the Knicks don't advance farther in the playoffs than they have, I would imagine that he hasn't really shown you that much in the playoffs. And at that point, they would have to say, are we going to pay this guy going forward? Because, you know, people will say, well, if they don't value him that, how do you know that anyone else will? But, you know, the reality is, you know, a team like Charlotte, right? If, if Lamelo's putting pressure, there's no reason for them to not offer Julius Randle a max. You know, even if they even if they, they say, we'll worry about the playoffs when we get there. We need to keep our star happy. Maybe he'll make Randall better. And, and um, so I, I am very interested. But, you know, I think a lot of people do believe that if quickly lives up to that contract, the same way that, you know, what happened with Jordan Poole, he would be the guy in the star trade after getting paid. Um, and then you see what happens to Grimes. Um, but um, but I think to your point, I think four over 400 is probably the highest I would go. Um I think it'll be, I think it'll be somewhere like four for 90 and, you know, incentives and everything makes it a, a difficult situation. I guess the other question though, is like, was there anything you saw in the playoffs that makes you think like long-term, this could be something where like, he's just never going to break through. Or do you think it was just a young player you know, struggling in, a, in, a, in an adverse situation? I didn't see anything that I was like, uh Oh, like there's a major red flag because he's still so young. And even, you know, even, star players need you know usually a couple of turns before you really see you know quickly is so far from the whatever the i was let me speak more carefully it seems likely to me that quickly is not near whatever the finished product of quickly will be so i feel like as the league makes adjustments to him and he continues to make adjustments to the league i feel like he's going to pull ahead in that particular race ultimately because he's just shown so much intelligence you know capacity on both on both ends of the floor um the one thing that i saw that and like you hate to see like a couple isolated sequences but like they did stand out to me like as a concern that i that i sometimes have about him like to me the idealized quickly is a player who is going to be like on the floor at the end of the biggest games of your season like it's going to be however you want to play you're playing mitch or if in a weird alternative non-tibs future where you can go small at the five with randall or whoever else my assumption is that quickly is going to be closing out a lot of like the most meaningful games um there were a couple of points particularly really in both series but where it really stood out in the cleveland series there were a few sequences where like and quickly was struggling in general offensively and i don't know if the injury he suffered against the heat was something that maybe was building. Like maybe he was already hurt. It was the end of a long season. It's probably the most I'm, I'm talking off the top of my head, but it might be the most minutes he's ever played in his life. I don't know, but there were a couple of sequences against Darius Garland where Garland was defending quickly. And it, it literally looked like Garland was the reincarnation of Gary Payton. Like <laughs> yeah. quickly could not. And, and I don't know Darius Garland's ceiling and it's just a couple of things. And like, Maybe quickly had a bad breakfast. I mean, day, I, I but... do think one Garland, I think, is a better defender than you expect. And yeah. two, I think quickly calls for screens from the center. So I do think, like, I to me, a lot of that seemed like, yeah, like he's not able to get by Garland. But he also, if he tried to get by Garland, Jared Allen is right there. Like the center screens just made no sense, and even Brunson struggled with those. But um, mm -hmm. but you know, in, in ISO, maybe I missed possessions in ISO where he also could get by Garland. So. 
yeah, it's fair for you to bring that up as well. So. Like, but not, you know, I'm not like, uh oh, like, yeah, I, no, I, I, I think it's an important thing to bring up. How much was his burst, and how much was it Cleveland's help defense, or him probably realizing there's other ways to take advantage of this matchup than you know bring Jared Allen to the ball, you know? Because Quickly's had this weird like, so for some reason this always brings Doug McDermott to mind for me, and like Doug McDermott. And I, I have to admit that this is probably like just a particular bias I have when it comes to shooters. But like when you're when the Knicks acquire a shooter, you, probably because for so much of my fanhood, like they've been lacking shooters. Like I expect shooters to be like almost can't miss because they're shooters. And when you watch your team play other teams, it seems like because you're only seeing them in, in short bursts, their shooters don't seem to miss. So Doug McDermott was a guy who came to the Knicks. I'm, I don't even remember his numbers off the top of my head, but I feel like he shot okay from three, like not the best of his career, but he probably was fine. But to me, like I lost it with Doug Winter. I just lost it completely with Doug Winter because I felt like he was always missing, but I think it's because I always wanted him to make it. Quickly, for three years, has had a little bit of this quality where my mental image of the kind of shooter he should be often doesn't sync with and and i keep being like okay but once that hits like and it, I, I have no idea i'm not making any larger commentary about its likelihood i'm just saying like it it quickly always still feels to me like i'm still waiting also for the shooting to get there to then have like a full sense of like who am i talking about because there's quickly in my head but then there's like really kind of actually quickly that's i feel like how most people talk about their relationship partners so uh. <laughs> It's complicated. No, I think like, that's I McDermott's an interesting one. I he was brought here as a shooter, and like my feeling was always like he's kind of like he can hit an open three, not a better shooter than Courtney Lee or something like that. I like the my favorite part of McDermott's game was always when he would backdoor cut and Kylo Quinn would find him. Yep. Like that was what I loved about Mark, Doug McDermott. Yeah. Um but like the shooting was always like he hits them fine, like he's open a lot. With quickly, I will say it's I think the number one thing people underestimate is like just how many reps you need to be a good shooter. Right? Like mm-hmm. I'll I'll give it both ways, right? Like look at the best shooters that came into this league. The greatest shooter ever spent three t- years in college before coming out, right? Uh, and he still improved, right? Like out out of college he was a great mm-hmm. shooter. He didn't become staff until a couple of years afterwards. Desmond Bain came out of the draft and was an immediately hit success. The reason why he fell to 27 is because he's 23 years old. So that's mm-hmm. why his shooting was so far. There's been Trey Young was a one and done and he's known as a shooter, but look at his shooting percentages, right? Part of that is shot selection, of course. I mean, he's a very advanced shooter for that age, but still like there is no substitute. Like there's thousands of reps, you know? And like, and the counter, the con- converse of that is that look at guys like Jason Kidd or Rajon Rondo. Once you get enough reps, even they who were just complete liabilities from outside the arc became like Rondo at the end of his career was like 35%. Like you give him an open three, he could hit it. Like when you give him an open three in Boston, he was airballing half them, you know? Yeah, so like yeah. reps may matter a lot. So for quickly to be averaging 37% from three with half of them almost being pull-ups for most of his career on high volume at age 23, I think that's encouraging. I think the word I would ascribe to him from what you were saying is streaky. It feels like they go down in bunches or he's cold. 
it doesn't feel like a, you know it, he's not the kind of guy where it seems like he's just going to go three for eight or or two for five every night, right? It seems like yeah, he's yeah. going to have his one for eight nights, and then he's going to have his six for eight nights, right? His five for seven nights. It, Tim Hardaway Jr. was a little bit. Tim Hardaway Jr. also played for the Knicks at a younger age. Um, I think in his second stint, he was a little bit more consistent, at least as a shooter. It was just everything else that was less consistent. But, um, you know, I think that that is a big part of, of what you're describing. Uh, I do want to move forward because we're sensitive of time, and I have a couple of trivia questions I want to ask you. But, uh, well, one is just a fun question, and another is a trivia question. Real quick, I want to talk about Jalen Brunson. It does seem like still, you know, that, that was a guy who was – Jalen Brunson averaged 28 on 59.9% true shooting in the uh, NBA playoffs this year. Do you know another player who averaged 59.9% true shooting exactly? From last year's playoffs? Yeah. There is one other player, the, the next guy who has averaged you know similar scoring. I didn't look at his scoring. Is he, is he Serbian? No. Is he Cameroonian? He is a player who is like synonymous with efficiency. The Serbian was just godly, so that's not a fair comparison. For um, Jesus. It is a player in Brunson's high class. I'm assuming that, that it's not Mitchell. No. Steph? Yeah. Steph okay. averaged 59.9, which I will say, sure, if you want to say it was a down playoffs for Steph, fine. The point is, like, Brunson was doing everything on volume at – the level of efficiency of like, you know, one of the two or three greatest players of the last 10, 15 years, you know, one of the, I think 15 best players ever. So, um, and it still seems like he's not getting his credit. You know, like the first time he had a bad game in FIBA, everyone was like, why is he like Halliburton's a pure point guard? First of all, here's, here's an interesting point. I think people always have this model of like the pure point guard, right? Like Andre Miller or Mark Jackson. How many teams win with that kind of a point guard? You think about the teams that have won recently. You know, who, with who are like you had Jamal Murray, score first guy, right? Um, you know, you had Steph that hits never been really as that mode. Tony Parker before that. You know, I, I'm not going to talk about Mario Mario Chalmers and, and Norris School or whatever. But how many of these like Kyle Lowry? Kyle, <laughs> yeah, Kyle Lowry is an interesting. If you want to call him a traditional point guard, fine. But the point is, it's been nowhere near a, you know, a kind of a, like a, a standard or like a, a necessity that you need this like pass first point guard. And if you also say that who are the play- teams that have won the championship with their best player being a smaller guard? It's Isaiah Thomas, so I think you've watched more of than me, but I didn't get the idea that he was just a pass and set everyone else up guy. He was a scorer, right? And Steph, who's like, yes, is a great passer, but Again, it's not just this, like, I'm going to set everybody up. So I think Brunson gets dinged for those things, but he doesn't have a worse profile. So I'd, I'd be curious, like, do you think he's still being underrated? Um, and do you think that, um, you know, do you think it's more his style or do you think it's a situation where maybe, you know, the you know the sentiment around his play is lagging behind what he's shown because, you know, it's still new? I think that... I think it's a little bit of that where like it's kind of new so it's still like catching on to people but I also think that it's you know a lot of the places that I've seen that have done like tiers or rankings of players this all season they have Brunson like we talked about it in one of the our episodes that we had done earlier in the summer and 
I think we we arrived around somewhere between like twelve and fourteen or fifteen players that were like above Brunson. A lot of the rankings I've seen or tiers have him, um, I think, lower than that. But I think, and I always think of Donovan Mitchell when I think of this. Like Donovan Mitchell, if you go back just a couple years, had had he had terrible playoffs against against the Rockets two years in a row. But other than that, he had an incredible playoff series against um, the Thunder the first year that he was in the playoffs with the Jazz. He had unbelievable performances in the bubble um, against Denver in that series. He had a sick uh, performance against Memphis when the Jazz beat them the year after that. He was further along in his postseason resume, had put up these astonishing performances. And two years later, a lot of the shine has come a bit off of Donovan Mitchell. Um, but who, who was both of those two years? Who did he face? <laughs> He did, but it's okay. It's not like it's not like Jalen Brunson, like and yeah, Jalen Brunson, like I mean, you saw that series, and the same thing happened that Dallas series. Every time Donovan Mitchell got matched up, you could just see Jalen Brunson like fixing up his bib, getting his fork and knife out, getting the hot sauce ready. Like he was yes. eating. Donovan Mitchell is not is not that guy when it comes to Jalen Brunson. But when we talk about like the level now that we're looking to elevate Brunson into, I don't know how much higher he can be right now off of mostly, if you're talking as the lead, he had a couple of, of brilliant performances alongside or in for Doncic his last year in Dallas. But when you're talking like where he's, okay, the ball is in your hands, everyone is focused on you, and you still can't be stopped. He did it incredibly last year. He did it once. And the well, level that we're talking... For, I would say most of this, like... Randall was out for a significant chunk, right? And that was part of when Brunson really was, you know, he's averaging close to 30. At that Absolutely. Point. Yeah, but he's done it once. And when you're talking now about, like, how high do we want Brunson regarded or elevated to, I would say, like, we're thinking top 15. But when you're talking top 15, like, there are re- there are generally, like, much longer resumes there than Brunson, who this is not his fault at all. This is not at all yeah, like a let's pick on Brunson thing, but like he, you know, you just got to see it for a longer stretch. He just needs, he just needs, he just needs time and exposure. And then like, I think, I think he'll be there and he'll be fine. And I'm more excited about the fact that as little as I can tell from my distance, he seems to care about the right things. He seems to like, you know, he doesn't seem like consumed with, why am I not more highly regarded? Like he just goes out and kicks ass, whether it's for the Knicks or whether it's for Team USA. And like, and and I'm I'm very excited by the possibility that Randall, in particular, Barrett, and quickly maybe, um, by being around Brunson now for a full season and coming back, like I think there's things that they can learn from his game um, because of the way that Brunson succeeds. It's not, you know, it's not like being Michael Jordan's teammate and like, well, okay, you can't you're not physically on that level. Like there are things that Brunson does that would be beneficial for Barrett to emulate for quickly to emulate for Randall to emulate having him now as part of this greater continuity and also having him with the experience of now being around like elite players in the league. And he's still like, he's a point guard, like still got the ball in his hands. He's still like a leading figure 
coming back from that experience, like into a team that he led the way he did last year, um, is very, very, very exciting. Um, and I think a year from now, because the, the 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 big thing to me, like, and it's it's really what I want to see the most, you know, from Brunson and the team in general is we've talked about it a little bit. The Knicks don't do two good seasons in a row. Like they don't do it. They've never done it since When's Patrick. the last Ewing. time they made two playoffs in a row? Ninety-nine. Well, they made they made th- you know three in a row under D'Antoni and Woodson, but the last time the Knicks. Row. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because the first year they lost to Boston. The second year they lost to Boston. The third year they no, beat Boston. Lost the second year was Miami um, when they dropped the confetti and when they were down three to one. Um, <sighs> the the last time the Knicks were. 10 games are over 500 two years in a row you've got to go back to um i believe 2000 and 2001 we've done two of the last three years yes but not two in a row yeah and the last i I just wrote about this in a piece it's it's a weird thing it's not even just this century but like but particularly like the number of times in franchise history the knicks have followed a 10 like other than the 70s and the 90s the knicks have basically never had a 10 plus win season 10 over 500 by another they're like terrible at it like it's just not a nick thing other than the holzman teams and the riley teams. so to me i really feel next year win 48 games play a really you know noble first round loss or get to the second round i'll feel okay like it's not the dream and obviously we'll see how the season takes shape but like i i want i i'm more interested in the Knicks establishing like a foundation of consistent success than we had good we had one good season and now we're gonna like jump for the stars. Like I and would like to feel kind of the epitome of that, right? Like if he regresses, I don't think there's any I think the reason why I like him so much is it there's very few parts of his game that it's like, oh, like he's like it's just such a I don't want to say a robotic efficiency, but it just doesn't nothing no part of it seems like unsustainable. Yes. It just seems like so just efficient with everything he does and just mm-hmm. planned and he always seems so in control. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem like Randall where he's just playing above his head that one year. Um or, or last mm-hmm. year Randall was it seems more like Randall last year was like, yeah, there's no reason why I, I this wouldn't continue. I think for Brunson it's even more so. But I think mm-hmm. to your point, Brunson is kind of the epitome of that. It was like, yeah, but from our history, we just and like I feel that that way about this team. Like there's no reason for me to think this team is gonna turn into a pumpkin. Because they were mm-hmm. they were a damn good team last year. This did not feel like 2020 where they like played over their heads. This felt like a damn good team, um, a team that very well could have beat the Heat. And if they did, yeah, I think they could have given Boston hell. Maybe they. I don't know if they would have won. The Celtics. They're a um, tough matchup. The Celtics are a tough matchup, but the Knicks outplayed them the regular season, and I get it. Like, no, I mean, the I Hawks. think the Knicks are a tough matchup for the Celtics. Yeah, the Knicks are a tough matchup. So anything could. So like, I don't feel like this was like 2020, but to your point, like, yeah, I'm, I'm also in that snake bitten range where it's like, yeah, but every time I felt this way, even a little bit, yep. um, you get snake bit. So, um, you know, going for speaking of Brunson, um, Brunson was a national champion in college along with his now teammates, Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo. Can you, there have been two Knicks ever who have won both a national championship in college and an NBA championship, can you name them both? Is Mike Woodson one of them? No, it's a good guess. Uh, 
won an NCAA championship, not like an NIT championship from the forties. Okay, yep. NCAA. Um, John Wall. Oh no, sorry. I'm just thinking of Knicks who won a college championship. Knicks who won oh, a college won, championship yeah. <laughs> and an NBA championship. Um, You're gonna have to. I mean, if you think about the NBA championship, that's or, sorry, an NBA championship with the Knicks. Wait, they won an NBA championship with the Knicks, and they yeah. won a college championship. Yeah. Oh, that narrows it down. Um, Bill Bradley. Hopefully, Brunson and Divincenzo and Hart will join the other. Right. Series. Is Bill Bradley one of them? Nope. Uh, okay, these obviously have to be old players. Um, nineteen seventy Knicks. Dick Barnett. These are obviously people from the 70 and 73 teams. Yeah. Um, you want a hint? No, no, not yet. Um, Grambling did not win, so it wasn't Reed. Um, Busher, Bradley, Phil Jackson, Reed. One of them is a guy you should know. The other one, I would forgive you. He's a well-known player. The other one is... Jerry Lucas? Oh, yes. <laughs> Jerry Lucas. As much as I hate to highlight the fact that Ohio State ever won anything, yes, I'm <laughs> um, sure he would. I'm sure he would remember it too. <laughs> Dean Meminger? No, no, not Mike Reardon. Uh, I'm sorry, Dave Reardon. I know I keep calling him Mike Reardon. Um, good lord, why can't I think of? Aaron Monroe didn't win a college championship. Um, and you said it's someone that I wouldn't know. Uh, oh, who was that big white dude? Um. Depression. Oh, no, was it a big white dude? There was a guy who backed up Willis Reed um, in 73, and he played most of the season in 74 when Reed was hurt. Um, oh, my God. I can't think of his name now. Is this someone you've heard of? Yes. Um, it is someone you would have heard of, but it wouldn't come to mind. Do you know this where player he had a, This player had a relative who also played for the Knicks. God, uh, a relative. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate this when I find out who it is. Um, it's not a distance relative, but I don't want to. If I specify it, I think. Is it, it the same name, relative? Yes. Oh God, and is that? This is pissing me off now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who the hell? I have no idea. Do you want me to give you the college? Yes. UCLA. Vandaway didn't win. Not a Vandaway. They didn't win with the Knicks. Oh, UCLA. wait. No. Uh, no, it's UCLA. Yeah, yeah. UCLA. Yeah, so he. Um... Who the hell went to UCLA on the Knicks? The 70 and 73? Okay, the relation is his son played for the Knicks. And his a very son... old man. Does it... I keep thinking of Ernie Vandeway. Um His son also won a national championship in college. Where did the son win? Arizona. Oh, this just gets worse and worse. Really? Oh, uh, hey, I, I'm, I, I looked this up. I, I will admit that. So. This is dying because I've, I've, I've 
study these these teams. So I can't tell you how much of my life so, uh, I have the last been... Nick team that made the playoffs. Uh, no, was that sorry? This his son was on the 2011-2012 Knicks. Not Bibby. Yeah, <laughs> it's Henry Bibby. What team did Henry Bibby play? Seventy three. Yeah, 73. He was on the Knicks from 72 to 75. Henry Bibby. Oh, my God. That's a tough one. All you had um, to do was say his son is jacked as hell, and I would have said, oh, Henry Bibby. He was, at the, he was definitely on something. He was like 40 years old. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, I don't, yeah. we're, we're well past time. There's one last question that somebody brought up to me. I think you'd have a better answer than me. Someone asked this. If you, had, if you could take any player from the Knicks in history and put them on this team, but you have to get rid of the player that's currently playing that position or starting at that position. Who would you pick? Hmm. <laughs> Probably Patrick. <laughs> that's, oh. Yeah. That's what I think a lot of people would say. I think Patrick's the best player, but I want, I, I think Mitch is like, I think Mitch is better than RJ. So like if we, but if we replace RJ with like Mello or, Bernard King. I thought of Mello at four. That's why I didn't think of him for RJ. You think about um, three? That's fair. And like Mello to Randall, I get that. You, could say Bernard, you know what? If RJ's three, you'd say Bernard King. And you, I would probably Bernard make King a King at the three? Yeah. It'd probably be a bigger difference than. Well, look, man, you can't go wrong either way, but like Patrick Ewing was better defensively than Mitchell Robinson and Patrick Which Ewing. Is no was... knock on Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Not at all. But Patrick Ewing was, you know, Speaking a different language offensively, um, but I mean King, I would say King. And he could even three. hit his free throws, right? Like that kind of. I wish much good. Yeah. He did, although I will say that Patrick Ewing was often uh, was nobody's favorite at the line late in very tight big games. Yeah. Um, Patrick Ewing had a shortcoming there, which he's not the only one who does. The cough, cough. LeBron James cough. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's ever been a, a two guard. I mean. It's hard to say if you want to go way, way, way back and say, like, you know, I would take Carl Braun over Quentin Grimes because Carl Braun was like a five time all star and he's in the Hall of Fame. You wouldn't take Pearl? Um, Pearl, too. Um, I just, I always like to throw out the old guys because, like, I just want people to remember that they did exist before Reed and Frazier. Um, but yeah, I mean, Monroe couldn't go wrong there at all. Um, I think Spreewell over Arge. I love Spreewell. Like, that was one of my first like favorite players when i was a kid so um Spree was, i wouldn't Spree help the shooting as much on the team man. but he he was so fun to watch he was and also a far better um playmaker for others than i feel like he's remembered for um Spree, Spree was a you know and and also you know forget, forgotten sometimes in the Spreewell story is that he came and went out of position um he was slightly smaller than alan houston but he went up to play at the three spots so houston could stay at the two and Sprewell, you know, the, the only real thing that they they had they worked with him on when he got here was he was very, he was a great defender, but he's a gambler who jumped a lot of passing lanes. That's not what Van Gundy wanted, but like once they got him on the same page with that, um, Sprewell, a great Nick on ball defense when he like when he was locked in, he was suffocating. You know? mm-hmm. He was just also, six eight and just long arms and super quick, right? Long arm, feline quickness, as Clyde would say. Um, and one of the few Knicks, I mean, he didn't win a title, but one thing he's accomplished that very few Knicks can put on their resume is that he successfully cursed out um, James Dolan and James Dolan's friends. 
um, on the bus and at the arena, which is not something that most Knicks can say. But when Spree came back his first game with the Timberwolves after he had been traded, he kicked the Knicks' ass in the fourth quarter, and he let somebody sitting near that Dolan seat know about it, and that person was James Dolan. And the Knicks were pissed, and there was nothing they could do about it. <laughs> That's pretty well for you. That was that was free, man. Who got in part traded for offending Dolan by there was like a like a I don't know what you would call it, not a booster, but like some executive who was friends with Dolan and therefore was allowed to like they were like either on the team bus or they were in a space where the players were not generally interacting with strange executives who they didn't know. And Spreewell had come either, I was either after a game or after a, a practice. Spreewell was not in a social mood. And this executive tried to say something. I'm pretty sure they were on the bus. And Spreewell cursed him out. And it was not long after that that he got traded. Um, so I think there was, I, if you if you have like a few minutes in your life to spare, go to YouTube, find the clips of Spreewell's first game back at the Garden with the Timberwolves. It is a beautiful thing to behold. Even as a Knicks fan, it was a beautiful thing to behold. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, no, my answer was mellow okay. for RJ, but uh, I think there's a oh there's yeah. a lot of good choices. Uh, what? No, mellow um, for RJ is, is incredible. It kind of sucks you can't say Clyde because I love him, but he would be replacing the Knicks' best player. You know, it's nice but, uh, that for once the obvious answer is not Clyde. Yeah, it would have been Clyde it really for like is, the last. It's been Clyde, yes, for like fifty years. It's been Clyde since he played. Like uh, even when <laughs> Stephon Marbury was here, right? Or you know, they they've had some decent point guards, but it's been Clyde until now. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, there's a reason why when they did that April Fool's prank about Walt Frazier replacing Scotty Brooks, like a lot of people <laughs> fell for that shit, and there was those were good Nick teams if people fell for that shit. So. Um, yeah, I grew up with Charlie Ward and Chris Childs. And I was like, Charlie Ward is the best. He won the Heisman Trophy. And it's like that's what I know is a good point guard play. And sad thing is, Charlie Ward would have been on the upper half of point guards at Washington Knicks, and, and he was a solid player. <laughs> yeah, I would do imagine you, most people had uh, better. Do you, do you know what a shibboleth is? I have heard the phrase, no, but I don't know the exact definition. Okay. So it's like a word for. Um, this will happen in war a lot. Like if you're in a in a in an ethnic war, um, soldiers will pull a bus over and they'll ask everyone to pronounce a word because they know that the people from their area will pronounce it a certain way, and people from another area, you know, can't. And they use it to identify that and separate them. And in the dark sense, it kills them. But in a not dark sense, a shibboleth is just something that makes a certain group of people. I think like stand out as as unique among from others i feel like the nick fan shibboleth is like your story about growing up and the delusion of like thinking charlie ward was like a great point guard when you're watching yeah. it at like to me it was old ass maurice cheeks and i was yeah. like oh my god like maurice cheeks had like one good series against boston and i was literally like oh my god this guy is like i mean he was a hall of famer but i was like maurice cheeks is so good and i feel like every nick, nick, fan, every nick fan like under the age of like 50 has a let me tell you who i thought was a good point guard before i saw jalen runson play <laughs> yeah. we all have like that thing um all right that is all for this episode of the believe next podcast thank everyone um thank you so much for joining us 
This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. It is also brought to you by Stacey and me, ultimately. Um, that's all for now. We will probably talk to you sometime. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube